The view is different from over here. <laughs> Advent is for goth kids. I guess for you millennials, that would be emo kids. For older Gen X and boomer sanctuarians, that would be punks. I'm talking about all of us who in our teens, and I admit some of us were late bloomers, our early 20s, we embraced the dark side. Before there was a name for toxic positivity, we were against it. We knew deep down in our bones that there's far too much pain in the world to waste time being cheerful. We are the ones who, even though our goth days are far behind us, break out in hives when that Hobby Lobby commercial comes on. Y'all. The ad for Christmas decor that is streaming on Hulu right now makes me want to do murder. <laughs> you can hear the smile in her voice as she lists the seasonal tchotchkes and holiday florals that will make your home merry and bright. My husband and son can testify that my blood pressure spins out of control. I know I can't be the only one who's allergic to that level of good cheer. And I know because I've gotten to know a goodly number of you in the four months that I've called Tulsa home. And most of y'all are just as jaded and cynical and grouchy as I am. If churches have a collective personality, sanctuary is the goth kid, or sorry, the emo kid, because most of you are youngsters. When Lent or Advent roll around, we are here for it. Darkness, bring it on. Waiting, yeah, that's where I live. Me and my church will show you Santa lovers where you can stick your jingle bells and your fa la la. All this to say, I don't think I have to convince most of you to Advent. You're already Adventing. You were Adventing before Advent, and now you have company. I do want to take a few minutes this morning, however, to remind us that Advent is not only about darkness and waiting. It's also a season to prepare for Christ's coming. And I don't think it's always clear what we mean by preparation. What exactly are we doing? What and how are we preparing? What were we, are we expecting when, once Jesus gets here? What exactly are we hoping for? The opening verses of Mark, which is the earliest of the canonical gospels, offers answers to these questions. Mark introduces us to John the Baptist by quoting from the prophet Isaiah, which, not coincidentally, is our Old Testament passage from today's lectionary readings. These words will be familiar to all six of my fellow hardcore George Friedrich Handel's Messiah fans. Can I get a what what for? All right, thank you. Most people have heard the Hallelujah Chorus, but Handel's four-hour choral masterwork, yeah, I said four hours, about the life of Christ actually begins with this announcement from Isaiah 40. 
Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. A voice cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. And continuing a few verses later, get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. When Mark the evangelist introduces his readers to John the baptizer, he's very intentional about reminding them of this prophecy from Isaiah. This, he says, this right here is what the Baptist was helping people get ready for. The long-awaited coming of Israel's God to live with his people, to care for them, to comfort and provide for them. But what would that look like? Today's reading from Psalm 85 describes it this way. The Lord will speak peace to his people to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. When God comes to live with his people, justice and peace cease to be competing values. No one has to choose between peace and justice or feel torn by the tension of their push and pull. Why? Because God's steadfast love holds it all together. When God is present with his people, their unshakable center of gravity is his glorious, unshakable love. This is the new reality that John the baptizer wanted first century Jews to get ready for. And this is the reality that we prepare for during Advent. And we prepare in exactly the same way first century Jews on the banks of the Jordan River did. Listen, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Here's something that I think is worth noticing. John does not announce the eventual possibility of forgiveness of sin. 
He doesn't say, get ready, because God is going to offer pardon for sin in some unspecified, as yet to be determined way. In fact, John's operating assumption is that forgiveness is not a hoped for outcome. God is still working the kinks out of a plan to try to execute the pardon part. No, forgiveness is a foregone conclusion. God's willingness and ability to, for, to forgive are not at all in question. The songs of God's people, which we call the Book of Psalms, celebrated Almighty God's forgiveness again and again, long before Jesus arrived on the scene. Today's Psalm 85 declares, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. Forgave pardoned, past tense. Before Jesus comes, God is already always forgiving. Forgiving sin is not a problem for God, and it's not why Jesus came. In Advent, we are not waiting for pardon, hoping God will find a way to pay our insurmountable debts. Forgiveness is not the problem. Repentance is. John the Baptist invited his first century listeners to prepare for God's coming by repenting of their sins. Why? Because sin is a problem. It's not a problem for God, but it is a problem for us. Sin warps and distorts who God made us to be. It makes us unable to live at peace with God, with others, and even with ourselves. It disables us from receiving or even recognizing the God who is coming to live with us. In an essay published this week in Plow Magazine, Father Paul's good friend, Bishop Rowan Williams, explains it like this. The basic form of the sin from which we need to be delivered is the myth of self-sufficiency. The diabolical urge that destroys our well-being again and again is the temptation to think of ourselves as somehow able to set our own agenda in isolation. And the greatest and most toxic paradox that results is that we become isolated from our own selves. We don't and can't know what we are as participants in the symphonic whole. And so we block off or screen out the life we need to receive, refusing to share the life we need to give. We live shrunken, hectic, short-term lives, stuck in feudal conflicts and vacuous rivalries. We refine our skill at identifying other human lives, as well as the entire non-human environment, as competitors for space, as forces that will, left to themselves, diminish rather than enrich us. When that's where we are, we are totally unprepared for God's coming. That's what sin does. That's how it blinds us. That's how it hobbles us. 
That's how it makes us unable to welcome God when he arrives, most especially when he arrives as a poor, powerless, hungry, refugee baby. If we want to prepare ourselves for Christ's coming, we must repent. Not because a pure and holy God can't be in the same room with dirty, rotten sinners, but because sinners can't see a pure and holy God when he stands right in front of them wearing a halo and a name tag. Friends, this is good news. Confession and repentance of sin are not the end of the gospel, but the beginning. To all those who have come out to the Jordan and repented, John says, I have baptized you with water, but the one who is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. God is coming not only to live with his people, God is coming to live in us. God is coming not only to heal people warped and distorted by sin, God is coming to turn us into healers. God is coming not only to speak peace into anxious hearts and violent nations, God is coming to make us peacemakers. God is coming not only to unite justice and peace in an unending kiss, he's coming to make us the place of their union. In the same essay, Bishop Rowan continues, uniting things earthly and things heavenly, Christ's coming clears our inner imaginative space, freeing us from the myths in which we have imprisoned ourselves enlarging the boundaries of what is open to humans made in the divine image. We are made able to trust the God who is strong enough to need no earthly or human protection, free enough to become a child sucking at a breast, alive enough to embrace death. That is the God who comes to us in Jesus the God whom we await during Advent, the God whom we prepare ourselves to receive. That is the God who makes himself present to us at the table, where we are caught up in the reality of new creation, where we become the place where heaven meets earth. As we begin our turn toward the Lord's table this morning, I want to invite us together into a posture of repentance. Not because sin is an emergency, but because it's just a fact of life. 19th century British essayist G.K. Chesterton once observed, modern masters of science are much impressed with the need of beginning all inquiry with fact. The ancient masters of religion were equally impressed with this necessity. They began with the fact of sin, a fact as practical as potatoes. 
whether or not a man could be washed in miraculous waters, there was no doubt at any rate that he needed washing. Our tradition calls on us in this season to prepare ourselves for God's coming. And John the Baptist shows us how. By repenting of our sins so that we can recognize the Lord when he comes. For the next few moments, I invite you to examine your heart and mind, your words and actions with the help of God's spirit. With, with what myths have you imprisoned yourself? The myth of self-sufficiency? The myth of self-righteousness? The myth of self-protection? What sinful story clouds your perception so that you are not able to see the God who has come? the God who is coming even now. Repent, beloved. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. <laughs>